trying to describe joy to somebody that's new to it, a new concept, a new idea maybe of it. And so I was trying to hit that. So I think my first thing is I sing a song when I sing a joy. I, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. You guys ever sing that in Sunday school or anything? Yes. And so I'm like, is the joy of the Lord my strength? Well, it's scripture, so it should be. So, okay, if the joy of the Lord is my strength, how do I find that joy? Where do I focus on that joy? Where does it come from? And so I came up with my first point was the pursuit of joy. How do we find that joy? What, has, what was God willing to surrender to sacrifice, surrender or sacrifice to be with us? God has a desire to be with us. And how much of his desire do we see and how much of our desire do we see? God was willing to give everything, his most precious son, his only son, and he sacrificed his son's life so that we could be with him. Not only did that, he started it off in the Immaculate Conception, I guess is what it's been called. But think about this. Not only have you brought God to earth, but you brought all that power and all that might and all that wisdom and compassion of an infinite God into an embryo of a man and then eventually into a baby. And you didn't make him all powerful when he came out of the womb. You didn't give him all the knowledge of the world. He had to learn it just like we did. He had to have the hand of protection of God over his path in life, just like we do. And he had to trust and obey, just like we do. Any of those steps, if he would have messed any of those steps up, we wouldn't have a savior of the world. And God's, uh, a lot of people like to focus on the star. They like to focus on the angels and things. But the, the really, the miraculous thing that happens on Christmas was, wow, look what God did in um, creating a God-man uh, to be holy, to be separate, and give us an opportunity to uh, be free from sin. So how did he do that? He became vulnerable, so vulnerable that he set aside his power, he set aside his authority, he set aside his wisdom, and he leaned on his compassion and love for us. So maybe it wasn't, he didn't set aside his wisdom, but uh, he knew what he was doing. And he died for you and I, didn't he? He could have came off that cross, he could have done that, but that, that defeats the purpose, doesn't it? That's the temptation that I can come off this cross and I could, I could be done with you guys. But then he wouldn't, uh, your name that we were saying about this morning, right? Uh, is a strong, mighty tower. God's character is tied to his name. So anytime you see God talking about his name in the Old Testament especially, he is speaking about his character. And if his character is of what he says it was, and God doesn't change, we know that, he needs to follow through with his plan that he started from the very beginning, and that's sending his son to die. And it all starts with the Christmas season. Praise God for that. So we need to focus on those things that gives us hope, which was our other sermon series. I was trying to figure out the other word. There it is. It's hope. So I would say that God wants to have a relationship with us. He sent his son he told them, 
to call him Emmanuel, God with us, you think we might get the clue. But we don't, as, as many times we try to do it ourselves. We try to do it uh, maybe for God or, or uh, because God's this evil person and he's looking down at us and he wants us to obey. And he's the disciplinarian. Is God like that? No. Not unless we're totally in sin, then, then he has to be. And it's a result of our sin. God wants to be in relationship with us. And when we're in relationship with him, yes, we are convicted of our sins. So we do feel guilt, but he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which we'll talk about later in a point. And I would say that he wants to be in relationship with us. He promised it. He continues to fulfill that promise through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that true joy comes from the welling up of the Holy Spirit, okay? To experience true joy, not just happiness, it comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and the only way we can experience true joy is from God the Father and having that relationship with Him. Uh, Otherwise, you need to question, you know, do I really have uh, God in my life if, if I don't have true joy? Or if I've never experienced it at some time. Are there times when you can fall out of joy? Yes, you can definitely fall out of happiness for sure. I think you can fall out of joy when you really, we'll talk about that in a little bit. There's two ways to do that on our next point. Now you're you're wanting to skip the point too, aren't you? I know. But our main point for today is true joy can only be found in Christ Jesus because he is the only one who offers a perfect ending of life with him. When we end we will have eternal life with him. And I know that's probably not proper English to end that sentence with, but I did it that way anyways because he offers a perfect ending of life with him because life doesn't end. He either goes into eternal life, which is eternal bliss and celebration, or it goes into eternal punishment because we choose that. It is our choice whether we go to heaven or to hell. So we should probably look into the evidence of what we need to do, which is what we talked about when we talked about God's hope for us. But Jesus describes this relationship, and he describes this very well in a parable, parable, and it brings me to the question, how are we pursuing him? How are we doing? You ever do a self-examination? How am I doing? And we look at these things, and Jesus he does a good job of describing this pursuit in Matthew chapter 13, verses 46, or 44 through 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant out on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers the great, a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. So he knew, in both cases, he knew what he was looking for. He knew there was something out there that he needed. There's a treasure in the field. There's a pearl of great price is what one translation says, right? And it's worth far more than what he owns currently, 
but he's willing to bet the bank on that treasure. He's willing to bet the bank on that pearl. And so he put he goes all in. He finds that joy. He knows that that treasure is what he longs for and that he needs. He knows that pearl is going to be what he needs. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. When we find that treasure, when we find that pearl, we know that's what he needs and we go all in. We go all in. What's it mean to go all in? It means to strive for holiness. What's that called? That's called sanctification, right? When we, when we start this journey towards the Lord, it is not defined often, it's not defined as a pursuit toward him. When many people start their journey toward the Lord, they're looking for something, but they don't know what, right? The church is supposed to direct them to the what, and that's part of our job. They're seeking a change in their lives, and we're seeking, I'm seeking a change in my life. We want to be a better person. I want to be good enough to get to heaven. Right? Well, we know that's a false journey to run to, but oftentimes that's what leads us to Jesus. And we find out that he's done all the work. He's done all the sacrifice. He's done all. He does everything after, really, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our key to finding true joy is finding a relationship with the true Jesus. We start to block out bad influences in pursuit of this treasure. We start changing our friendships. We start changing our habits. We long for this treasure that's just out of reach. We don't know where to search for it. We continue to look, whether it's in our neighbor's field that we don't own yet, but when we find it, we dig it up, we sell everything, and uh, go after this. So maybe we can pursue to buy this land. We find that we can't do this on our own. Can't make that purchase price on our own. As a search for this treasure, or I would say the treasure of contentment, as it continues, we eventually get pointed to Jesus. And once we have him in our lives, things start to change. We realize it's not as hard as we may have thought. The, the path is really actually simple. It's coming to him and surrendering our lives to him. But we didn't say it was easy either, do we? But what do we have a promise with? He says his yoke is easy. Well, what is his yoke? What would you say God's yoke is? And if you look at a yoke, you would say it's his laws. Right? If you look at God's laws opposed to the Pharisees' laws, they're pretty simple. Okay, I'm going to surrender to Jesus, and I'm going to listen and obey him. How do I do that? I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to walk like Jesus walked. In a sense, you're going to be in the dust of Rabbi Jesus, right? So if you're going to learn to be like Jesus, you should probably learn how to study his word. You should study the Gospels, right? And get to know him in a personal level, because that's how... We get to know him through his word, and then we get to, he gets to know us through the power of prayer. That's kind of fun. 
So things start to change, and once we know he is the answer, nothing's going to hold us back from him. He is the treasure in the field. He is the pearl we are willing to give up everything to get, and Jesus Christ is pure joy. Here we fall into two camps, though. There's those that have pursued Jesus like this and those who haven't. If you've pursued Jesus like this, then great. What do you do in your life that promotes this passion in your life? How are you reminding yourself about this relationship of what Christ has done for us? Do you see the illustrations that he's given us in everyday living on how he sacrificed for us? Are you grateful for those sacrifices that he's given for us? If you keep an attitude of gratitude, it often leads to um, an attitude of selflessness, right? But if you haven't pursued Jesus like this, what do you need to do and what do you need to let go of to get started on that journey? And you're like, it's too hard. It's too hard to let go. It's too hard to let go. Guess what? Christians haven't got it all figured out either. We, we have a hard time letting go as well. We have a hard time letting go of our old self. We have a hard time letting go of passions of this world that drive us. And we surrender on a daily basis. I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday, and he's like, yeah, that, um, basically we were talking about the gift of salvation or justification. He's like, yeah, that's something that I try to do every single day. I try to ask God and say, God, I am, I'm the scum of the earth in a sense, Shane House paraphrase, and you are awesome. I need your awesomeness uh, so that I won't be scum of the earth to other people, right? Because not only do we have the joy of the Lord, but we also have to put it in perspective that we need the joy of the Lord because we can't have it apart from him. Every good and perfect thing comes from above, comes from him. It's another song that I learned from Dean Johnson. So, um, what can we do? What's some tools that we can use to get there for Christian and non-Christian alike? Maybe it's your first time that you've done this. Maybe this, you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, and this is how it goes. You admit what you're doing is wrong. You fix it by asking for forgiveness, and then you forget it. Because we're moving forward, right? We're going, admit it, fix it, forget it. This is a concept that I'm teaching to the volleyball girls right now. They are, if you develop a bad habit when you're playing any sport, you have to recognize the habit. So you have to admit it. I'm doing something wrong here. This is what coach said to correct it. And now I, I'm doing it right. And now I'm going to forget that bad habit and I'm going to continue the good habit, right? It's something simple that applies to sports, and it also applies to our Christian living, doesn't it? And I learned that doing sports God's way, huh, from Cole Espensheed. So will you, you'll find that this is a good, whether you're struggling with sin as a Christian 
or if you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, both of these things will help you walk into uh, a way with Jesus because true joy can only be found in Christ Jesus because he is the only one who offers a perfect ending of life with him. Joy in repentance. This is where I was going with the first John one. What happens when our joy fades? There's two way, things I, that are prominent, at least in my life, that happens when joy fades in my life. One, we allow our faith to become stagnant. When I start going through the motions, it is important to me to, to find somebody to recharge my spiritual batteries so I can um, get through this, right? So when we get into the Christmas chaos a lot of times, it's good to find a friend that comes alongside and just um, spurs me on toward the gospel, right? Uh, Jesse Cochran got to be that this week for me. And just, we got to have her with one another and, and talk and wrestle with some things, and, and that was fun. And it, it just helps you remember uh, what Christ has done for us and things. So maybe our Bible reading, this is some of the the red flags. Your Bible reading becomes a little bit less and less, or you skip a day. Uh, my Bible plan, it has little dots that I can that shows that I'm on track, right? If I start seeing extra hollow dots instead of check marks in them, I know that I, I need to get back on track. Maybe my prayer life becomes shallow and selfless or selfish, right? It can, it can probably do both, but I meant to say selfish. As we're going through COVID. I recognize my prayer life got a lot better during COVID. Why? I didn't do anything except for sit around and pray. I, it was hard for me to read a book because it, it was just uncomfortable. Uh, it was hard for me to get on my phone. And so I got on and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And it was a good time for me to be in prayer. And it rec I also recognized I needed to do it more often as well. But when we get into these things, there's also some warnings to the church that we can find in Revelation chapter 3 in the church of Laodicea. Notice he writes this. We, he writes this to the church. And oftentimes we like to, to put this scripture to non-believers. But guess what, folks? He wrote this to you and I as a church. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says, I know all the things that you do. You're neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God doesn't want us to be stagnant. He doesn't want us to be um, stale water. He wants us to be living water. So he wants us to be continual refreshed with new from the Spirit. So what is an example of stale, stagnant water? If you think of a well that's been dug, oftentimes they, cons they consider that um, stagnant water because if you think about this, this is the, this is the Shane House test, litmus test, on if it's stagnant water or not. If you can throw uh, a dead rat into the water and the dead rat can't get out by it flowing out of there naturally, that is stagnant water. Okay, that's, that's why you would say a well. So if it fell down into a well uh, and stayed down in there, um, 
you it's dirty water now you can't use it anymore right but if you have a stream that comes along and it cleans itself out the rat could fall into the stream and die but it's going to clean it out right so that's living water so we always want to have inflow of the holy spirit and to overflow out of us we want to see that constantly going if we don't see that that should be a red flag for us that's what this is saying in revelation chapter 3 so we need to find a group of believers who are pursuing the Lord and study his word together. Well, I don't have a group. Where can I find a group, Pastor? Where is a... Oh, yeah, you said that in announcements, didn't you? January 6th at 645, right over there. They're going to be starting a group where you can, can learn. And uh, some of them will know a lot about the Bible. Some of them know very little but we, we need to study the Bible, right? That's the blessing that I've seen in our youth group right now. For kids to be able to come in to our youth group and then they dare enough to come on Thursday night and say, I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't have a clue what it's about. I've never heard any of the stories at all, ever before. And I'm like, one, it takes a ton of courage to say that. You're coming to a place where that's all they do is study this thing. And... Um, you could get made fun of. You could get said things. And they come in and they're willing to be vulnerable enough to say that. And I'm like, woohoo! One, it shows the character of our youth group that we have that comes on Thursday nights. And two, it shows that we're a safe place to be, to ask those questions. Right? That's exciting to me. Uh, on the other side of that, too, it's when somebody's pulling, when God's pulling somebody from the raw like that, uh, that's not pulled by man. That's pulled by the Holy Spirit. And so something's happened in that person's life. And so we start continuing to pray for that person. And we'll pray that we'll see where God, where he's pursuing us. Because as he goes through, if you skip down to Revelation 3, verse 20 through 22, he pleased with the church. He says, look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and he will share a meal and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Do you know God's word? Can you understand it? No, I can't, Pastor. Well, we need to keep reading then, right? We need to keep studying. First, study the life of Christ. First, get that down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Understand what he's there for, why he's there. Everything, as we look through the Scriptures, I look at the Gospels first. And then I look at the rest of the New Testament second, Maybe opposed to Revelation, except for Revelation, maybe. Then I look to the Old Testament. Then I look to Revelation. Okay? That's how I interpret the Bible. So if you want to know how your pastor looks at the Bible first, I look first at the, at the Gospels first, the rest of the New Testament minus Revelation, the Old Testament, and then Revelation. Okay? Because if you look at Revelation first, you're going to find out that it's quotes, half of it is quoting the Old Testament, okay? So it's important to know 
all of that. Jesus desires to be in relationship with us. We are the ones who pulled away from him. We're the ones that walked away from that relationship. He did not. He is the one that has been full of grace, ready to pull us back, actively faithful to us. Actively faithful to us. What it means to be actively faithful. It means to throw a bone out there. Say, hey, remember, remember me. Remember me? And we're like, ah, whatever. Forget that. Ah, there's no such thing as God. The fact that you're denying that there's no such thing as God gives a little bit of proof. There, there might be a God. Unfortunately, for you, not for me, right? But think about that. If you're denying something that you would never know about, then you've made it up, I guess. But if it was really there, then you would know about it to deny it. It's tricky. It's tricky. The second one, we have sin in our lives that needs attention. So the first one was we're starting to become stagnant. The second one, we have sin in our lives that needs attention. First John 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness or unrighteousness, as it says in the NIV. Jesus is interested in being the solution for the problem. Joy is a choice to focus on the solution and not the problem. Look at that again. Joy is a choice to focus on the solution and not the problem. Through repentance, Jesus wants to bring you joy. So, when we get into trouble, when we get into a circumstance that we cannot handle, what do we like to focus on? I like to focus on the problem, right? I'm like, how do I get out? How do I get out of this? How am I going to get out of this one? But I'm not looking at the solution. Jesus Christ is a solution, and he's past the problem. And so I need to learn how to either get over that hill, go around that hill, or go through that hill. One of the ways I got to get through that, you could say it's a wall. You got to go over the wall, around the wall, or through the wall. Somehow, he is going to be the door to get through that problem, right? And so I'm chasing after Jesus, and if I'm chasing after Jesus, this problem doesn't seem so big. But if I'm not chasing after Jesus, then I got a big problem. Hmm. Because that's all I can focus on. That's all I can see. But he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except for him, so I'm going to pursue him. So I'm going to ask good questions. I'm going to ask people that I respect, how do I get around this? So I'm going to ask advice. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek knowledge from the Holy Spirit to get me through this problem. And I'm going to read his word and find out what it means and how I can get around this problem. There's three good ways of getting around this problem. One way of the reading and the praying is through confession. If you look at Psalm 51 and you look at what King David did after he was caught in his murderous, adulterous scheme. Can you get any worse than that? I don't know if you can. And God forgives him, doesn't he? God restores him, right? When he prays, who does he focus on? God, you're great, and I am not. So all the praise goes to God, all the junk goes to me. It was my responsibility. I messed up. I'm the sinner. You're awesome. You have the ability 
and I've disobeyed you. God is love. God is compassion. I'm selfish. I'm a sinner. I recognize this. God has the authority to forgive sins. I was born a sinner. God purifies and renews. I taint and tear down. Do you see how it makes God the hero and me uh, not? That's hard to do in today's age. It's hard to do in America. We want to make ourselves the hero. Look what I've done. Wow, you're amazing. Wow, that's great. No, God did that. God did that. God gave us the ability to score that touchdown. God gave us that ability to memorize whatever it may be. God gave us the ability to be the best at whatever. It wasn't us. And so when we give him the praise in those moments, the world doesn't understand that, does it? I just want to glorify God right now because he is, okay, whatever. But what would you do to do? They don't understand that. You ever see a football interview like that? Sometimes it's kind of funny to me. But I, I have a lot of respect for anyone that did, does say, I, I, my workout routine didn't do anything for me. It was getting things in focus of my perspective, my relationship with the Lord, and then with my coaches, and then with my workout routine, and then that resulted in this. Saw it during the Olympics. That's one reason why I like the Olympics so much. You get those amateur athletes out there. They're not in it for the money. They're in it for the love of the game and things. And, and they find out that the love of the game is not enough. And so they find the love of the Lord. And they realize how that puts everything else into perspective. Uh, one of the sprinters, uh, female sprinters this year, I think she ran the 401 gold in it. She, she put it in perspective really good this year. True joy can only be found in Christ Jesus because he is the only one who offers a perfect ending of life with him. Think about that. If God didn't offer a perfect ending, would he be worth pursuing? If God didn't offer a perfect ending, would he be worth pursuing? No, he wouldn't. It'd be a tainted end. It, and through that little bit of evil... It would destroy the good. That's the problem we have with yin and yang. You ever seen that symbol, right? That's a pagan symbol. It is um, actually probably, would you say, right there with Wiccan symbol too. It's not, but it, they could be. Because we believe in ultimate goodness, there is no evil. God is good. There's no evil in him. And in Satan... There's no goodness in him, right? He chose his path. He's chosen his direction, and there's things that he's doing. So um, God cannot be corrupted by evil. That's part of his character, okay? His name, right, that we sang about this morning. So the joy of thy salvation. How do we get back to that goodness? How do we get there? Do we need to be restored as Christians to that joy of salvation? Absolutely. When we sin against God, when we do those two things where we start to get stagnant and where we sin against God, we need to get back to that joy of the salvation. Uh, if we never accepted Jesus into our life, we need to understand what it means to bring that joy of salvation into our hearts. And Psalms 51, 10 through 12 does a great job. It says, create in me a clean heart. Does God do that from the outside or does he do it from the inside? Does it from the inside, doesn't he? 
It'd be ridiculous to ask God to clean in me a clean heart from the outside. Well, you do it out here and I'll take care of the inside. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not surrender. Come inside and clean my heart. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take my, your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I like this. This is the New Living Translation. Listen and obey. How many times do you say that to your kids during the Christmas season? You know, are you listening? Yeah. Well, did you do what I said? No. It's time to go to bed. It's time to go to bed. Shut that off and go to bed. It's time to go to bed. Well, how many times the Lord says, you need to go talk to that person? You need to go talk to that person. It's time to go talk to that person. Did you talk to that person? Did I tell you to? Did you do it when I told you to? No. Well, God's trying to do something in us, right? So that he can do something greater through us. He needs a conduit. He needs somebody that's willing to surrender to him so he can put the message to other people. We're like a funnel. It passes through us and goes out the other end, right? Sometimes it goes where he wants it directed. Are you willing to be, to surrender to him, to be that funnel? That is key. It is the most important decision you can make in your life is, okay, I'm going to choose to surrender to God. Well, why, pastor? Well, one, he desires a relationship with us. He desires a relationship with you. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the stars and the skies, and he names them. I think he can handle a little bit of, a little bit more shame in his life. Oh, boy. You don't know what you're asking, Lord. Oh, I think I do. Well, along with shame comes a lot of shame, right? And he's like, I'm okay with that. We'll work to that together because you're not the hero of your story, Shane. I am. And when you learn that, I got something to work with. I got a funnel I can pour into other people with. All right. I warned you. I know. Just surrender that warning too. <laughs> right? That's how it goes. So once we confess our sins, then we ask him to take the lead. He is our hope of salvation from sin and death. He is the gate to heaven. We have had several saints go before us that have walked the path faithfully. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, that's what it's talking about, right? It says, by faith, by faith, Enoch did this, Abraham did this, um, creation was formed. And so we get into Hebrews chapter 12 and we see a therefore. If we see a therefore, we check to see what it's there for. What it was there for is all these faithful saints that have come before us. And since we have, are surrounded by such a, a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that is so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross and disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor because God's throne. We have an opportunity to run the race with endurance that he has set before us. You ever look at the Bible and you have the example of Christ. This is how it looks like. This is how we should live. And then we have all these examples in the Old Testament of people that fail. Well, how, when do they fail? When they're following God or when they're disobedient? Gives us a lot of bad examples in the Bible. In the New and Old Testament, even Peter messes up several times, right? It shows us how to be human and that we are human, that we are going to fall, and that when we do, God's going to be compassionate enough to brush us off when we surrender back to him and put us back on our feet and keep us going. When we have salvation in Jesus Christ, we look at life differently. We have a strong hold to brace ourselves in during the hard times. We were thinking about the, the Kentucky thunderstorms that brought in all those tornadoes, and Brandy said, you know, if we ever leave this place, I'm going to make sure we have a basement, right? Because we want to have a stronghold to go when, when times get tough. We want to make sure that we're safe. Well, where do we have our ultimate spiritual stronghold? Is it in myself? I hope not, because that'll crowd and real fast. Because I could make myself look really good, you know. I could probably even build myself up on a podium or a, a tower. And that looked nice. But how far the mighty have fallen, right? The taller the tower, the farther you fall. And so if you find yourself in Christ Jesus, based in faith in him, and he is our foundation. Oh, what a mighty foundation that is. So there's four thieves that will attempt to rob you of joy. Now, it will help you if you've ever heard of the Pete the Cat books, okay? So if you've ever heard of Pete the Cat books, that's where this last illustration is going. And when I read Pete the Cat books, now this is this cat, he does the blues, right? He's all about the blues and he's all about the... Uh, being cool and, and making sure life's good. And so I can't just, I can't just say this. I got to sing this, okay? So I was looking at this, and the, um, the guy pointed out that I was studying that Philippians is all about this, okay? So we have, we have four big thieves that come in our that after us. The first one is circumstances. And if you want to write these down, you can. Uh, the second one is ourself. The third one are things. And the last one is worry. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the first two harder because I knew I'd run out of time by the time I got to the last one because we have communion today. But you can go back and study it for yourself if you want to find out what some of the thieves are in chapters three and four of Philippians. So in Philippians chapter 1, looking at 12 through 19, Paul is in chains 
for the gospel. That his circumstances have put him in a place where he doesn't really want to be. And here's where we go. Did that stop him? No. He kept preaching along, singing a song. I love my Jesus. I love my Jesus. And my Jesus loves me. Right? That's how I imagine Pete the Cat singing the song. Philippians uh, chapter 1, 20 through 26 says, uh, life and death. You know, he's split. Should I live for Christ or should I die? Because it's gain. Because I get to be with him. And did that stop him from preaching the gospel? No. It didn't matter. He kept preaching along, singing the song. I've got my Jesus. I've got my Jesus. And my Jesus loves me. Well, Paul, he developed enemies along the way. There was people that were trying to stop him. Did that stop him? No. He just kept preaching along, singing the song. I'm praising Jesus. I'm praising Jesus because Jesus loves me. Right? His circumstances did not stop him. His addictions didn't stop him. His, his uh, sin that he was struggling with didn't stop him because he went and he saw these things and he saw this opposition and it, part of it, he recognizes that the world is opposed to our Lord and Savior. And so he pushed through the circumstances and he loved the Lord. The second one. Philippians chapter 2, you look through 1 through 11. That's the attitude of Christ. So one of the things that combats the attitude of Christ is my bad attitude, or myself, ourselves. Did this stop Paul when he got discouraged, when he was ready to give up? He thought he was going to die going after these Macedonian Christians. Did that stop him? No. He walked humbly before the Almighty, and he says, I'm humble for my Jesus, humble for my Jesus, because my Jesus loves me. What about our loyalty? And when we went after these things, no, he kept preaching along, singing his lungs. I walk humbly before the, I walk humbly before the Almighty, and my Jesus, he loves me. Right? Does Jesus love you? How do you know? Bible tells us so, right? We've learned that one in Sunday school too, right? Things. Things went after him. In Philippians chapter 3, you'll have to look up those references. Did that stop him? No, he kept praising Jesus. He was praising Jesus. And worry. Things of this life. That There's no more, nothing more powerful today than worry. We like to rename it anxiety. Oh, I have anxiety. Do you? Oh, I have my Jesus. Now, does that take away all anxiety? No, but it's a place we can take our anxiety to, right? And did God help us the last time we faced a circumstance like this? You think of COVID-19 right now, right? Is it dangerous? Yeah, it's dangerous. It can kill you. Can any virus kill you? Yeah, it can, right? So what about uh, the swine flu or, or those other ones that we've run into things? Did, that, did they kill people? Yeah. Does the common flu kill people? It does, right? 
And so if we're worried about dying, are we really truly living? Not really. Not truly. Not like the Lord wants us to. That's a hard one to preach today. Because guess what? Every time I bring that up, there's a lot of pushback. <laughs> Let me tell you about that. But I'm trying to do it as kindly and as compassionately as I can because God knows your time. He knows your numbers. He knows when you're going to live and he knows when you're going to die. There's a time for everything under the sun. And he is in control. If he truly is your almighty, you will walk faithfully without the worry of life. And I'm, I'm telling you, today's with the news hitting us, with social media hitting us, with the worries of everybody else that doesn't know the Lord, it's hard, and especially, especially when we or somebody else that knows the Lord has those same worries. It's hard to deal with those things. But God has compassion. He can work through those worries. He can be a blessing to us and help us to overcome those things. If we keep praising Jesus for his gratitude, for his strength, because Jesus loves me. And as we look through all these things, we look through all these trials, we look at the problem is not with Jesus, it's with us. So my question then becomes, why in the world would he want to be with me? Why would he even care? I can barely get through a day without breaking all those things. I can't. He created us for the purpose to be with us. I can't explain it all the way. But think of how valuable we are if he's willing to give his one and only son, the heir to the throne, to die for you and for me. That's a kind of God that I want to pursue because he's pursued me at 100%, way more than I could ever. God sent his son to be our savior. God with us, Emmanuel, is started on Christmas, the first Christmas. It's going to end when he comes back, technically on the second Christmas, right? And we will have to give a reckoning. Are you willing to meet your Lord and Savior are you willing to surrender to him? Because that's what communion's all about today. It's saying, Lord, you are my Lord and Savior. You're the one who's taking care of me, and I'm going to pursue you passionately. I'm going to shut the camera off, so I'll see you guys later. We get ready to take communion this morning. I'm going to have the elders come on up. Body, which is given for you,